Good afternoon again. It's good to see you. I sometimes I think, and my wife often reminds me in the, of this that I say, "Ah, oh, I don't think people are going to be interested in those books or whatever." I just don't. I didn't bring any along. I brought a few co- uh, just examples. And Jason said, "You must send a whole book, a box of books," which I did. And uh, within 24 hours, they were gone. So I just say, well, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm glad that many of you will be blessed by reading more, by digging further. I try to put this material in books. Also, as some of you know, because it's a special conference, the ABC, by the way, says to me, please don't sell less than what we charge. We sell them at the ABC for $15. But at conferences, we can go down. <laughs> That's why here we are, do- we are selling it to you for $10 per book. And even though we're going to mail some more, if you're interested, we'll be glad to share with you some of these wonderful biblical insights that the Lord has blessed. Linda and I are glad we can share that with you. We're also getting a website going this week, my own website. Dr. Fred Bishop has offered to help me. I'm not technologically advanced, so hopefully within a few days a website will be there and where you can also get free materials that you're interested in, sermons and other things we're going to put there. But welcome back. We're glad we can grow together in the Lord. Yesterday we had an interesting time together. I know it was a controversial topic. Some people think it is a hot topic, but today is going to be the hottest topic ever. You'll see in a minute. Yesterday... My way of life needs to bring souls to Christ. Would you say that with me? My way of life needs to bring souls to Christ. That's the purpose. That's why we live, firstly, trusting lives in God, joyful lives, and then we put it into practice into our personal lives, how we live everything we do, we want to do for God's glory, right? To bring people to Jesus Christ. Before I open the Word, I want to pause just a moment more. Lord, bless now that as I open your written word, it'll be your words that will be revealed, not mine. Lord, hide me behind the cross of Calvary so that Jesus will be seen. In his name I pray. Amen. I couldn't resist starting with sharing with you. As I told you, this today is going to be the hottest topic you've ever, by the way. Listen carefully. Email, I got this one. The title is simply Wrong email address. Three words, wrong email address. A couple from Minneapolis decided to go to Florida to thaw out during one particularly icy winter. Now, if you're from California, you might not understand what that means. But if you're from Minneapolis or Michigan, we know. Okay? So they decided to do that. They planned to stay at the very same hotel where they'd spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. So this is going to bring back wonderful memories. Because of hectic schedules, it was difficult to coordinate their travel schedules. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on Thursday. Got to remember the details here. Husband goes down to Florida on Thursday. His wife was going to fly down the following day, Friday, from Minnesota, where it's cold, down to Florida to thaw out and enjoy time at the same place they spent their honeymoon. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room. So he decided to sit down and send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address. And without realizing his error, he sent the email. So do you think it got to her? No. Meanwhile, meanwhile, somewhere in Houston... A widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. 
He was a minister, a pastor for many years. And I'm reading from this article that I got in the email. It, this is what it says. He was a minister for many years who was called home to glory following a sudden heart attack. The widow decided to check her email, expecting messages from relatives and friends. After reading the first message, she fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen which read, quote, To my loving wife. Subject, I've arrived. <laughs> Date, 16 May 2002. Here's, the, here's what he wrote. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now. And you are allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived and have been checked in. I see that everything has pre been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine. P.S. Sure is hot down here. <laughs> Florida, folks. Florida. That's what he's... He is writing from Florida. He sent it to the wrong email address. Anyway, I told you it's going to be a hot topic. It's a hot topic indeed. What is the topic for today? I'm going to get to the issue of hell a little later. But we've got to start at the right place. So let's open our Bibles. I know there are many theories going around. I thought you'd enjoy that story. Uh, incidentally, there are two or three people that asked me for something yesterday. I have a few copies for those who asked me. Okay, I'm not saying what it is so that uh, I don't find a zillion more coming. <clears throat> All right, let's open our Bibles. And the question is, what does the Bible teach? On this particular issue, and incidentally today, again, I'm in a bind because I'm going to try to have three sermons in 30 minutes. And so uh, oh, I'll try to go through it carefully, but without giving you indigestion. What does the Bible talk about? Because, you know, there's so much that's going around. Popular beliefs. And it's constantly, I mean, this is February 2006. In other words, yesterday, right? <laughs> this is, today is March. Welcome to March. February 2006, Reader's Digest. Okay, Jessie Lott, nine years of old when her heart stopped. Now in her 20s. She says, quote, I was never more alive than when I was dead. Okay, example number one. Number, one. number two, February 2006, Reader's Digest again. Possible plane crash. This person sent out emails, sent out text messages. And in the text message she wrote, I would be watching over her and, and my father and my brother from heaven as soon as the plane crashes. Plane crash didn't happen. She's not watching over them from above as she believed she would be doing. Pilgrims. Pope John Paul passed away. This is another news article. This is what it says. People were arriving. Pilgrims arriving. Some said they had come to pray to Pope John Paul after he passed away. Uh, John Edward uh, had a thing on television called Crossing Over. And here he is, an internationally acclaimed, acclaimed psychic medium who can communicate with the world beyond um, the same time, there was another guy on some other program called James Van Prague. I forgot what his program was called. But here he was. He also says he can communicate with people after they die. Constantly, everywhere, we're being saturated with the same message, communicating with the dead and uh, this type of idea. And then, of course, Harry Potter. Okay, I just read it. Harry Potter sees his dead parents in a special mirror and communicates with them. 
And if you didn't, haven't kept up the last of the Harry Potter's book, Potter books, listen to this. How fast were they selling? The first day that it came out, the last book so far, were selling per hour. Does anyone guess how many books were selling per hour? A cool 250,000 books per hour. Okay? That's how popular Harry Potter is. That first day, 250,000 books per hour were sold day one of the last one that came out in July. And of course, it's saturated with... And it, I've, I've have not read the books. No, I borrowed them in the li- from the library, a public library one day, and I just glanced through. I looked at the beginning at the end. I read a little bit. And I, sure enough, says, Death is but... Dumbledore says this to Harry. Death is but the next great adventure. I mean, it's, it's saturated everywhere. So the question we want to ask this today is let's go back to the Bible and let's reflect for a few moments in these three sermons in one and I'm only whetting your appetites. I'm telling you ahead of time, I'm not going to satisfy it. Now, you might be satisfied with the meal you're having today, but you won't be satisfied with this. This is simply to whet your appetite, to get you interested, to spend time further in the Word, to dig deeper. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, and that is where? Genesis. Go back to the book of Genesis. When God created Adam and Eve, how did He make them? We always need to start at the beginning of any story. It's always important to get the context, to get an idea, to understand. What does the Bible teach? And you know what's interesting? As you turn in your Bibles, I should just mention to you briefly here, there are other Christian scholars who are now discovering more of this. Uh, Edward Fudge wrote a book called The Fire That Consumes about a decade or more ago. Um, Scholars like John uh, R.W. Stott come to mind. Uh, what's his name? Clark Pinnock. These are uh, well-known writers in other different denominations who are finding these same truths here in Scripture. And we're going we're to share a few with you right now. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. How did God do it? He, the Lord God, the Lord, the personal name of God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Stop there for a moment. So we have two things happening here. He forms man from the dust of the ground. This is Adam, by the way. And the next thing God does, he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. That the life-giving, what God has, he gives life to the man. The breath of life. That's a specific term. The breath of life. Now when you have the breath of life and that dust that was formed there, man became a what? A living soul, a living being. There it is. And man became, a key word, incidentally, notice that. And man became a living being. Man became a living soul. When we look at Genesis 2, we find in simple language two constituent parts. The the dust of the earth that God formed and shaped and the breath of life that goes into the human being. And man becomes a living soul. Interesting. Years ago, a century ago, like when the Titanic uh, went down and they spoke about 1,521 people, you know what they said? 1,521 what? Souls were lost at sea. They used the word correctly a generation or so, a hundred years ago. Soul, I am a soul. Interesting. And that's how they used to use it. Over time, many have moved away to a different idea. 
But right here, I am a soul, you are a soul. Interesting, the reverse happens. Go to the New Testament now. We were right at the beginning. We're going to jump to the end. There are several verses I want to share with you. A few you'll have to just write down because you will have to read them at home. But right here, I want to show you the reversal, uh, this process. Not the reversal, but a corroboration of it, a reiteration of it by James. Um, putting it this way, James chapter 2, verse 26. We had Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, James 2, verse 26. As the body without the, the Bible says, spirit, we're going to come back to that, is dead. The body without the spirit, that shape there without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now the word spirit, if you look at it, you'll say, aha, there it is, spirit. Interesting. You know what the word is in Greek? Pneuma. Pneuma. And so I went back and I found that there's another place where they use the same word. Turn with me there. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Notice what the translators do. When they get to James, they use the word pneuma to mean spirit. But in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, notice how they translate the same word pneuma in Second Thessalonians 2, verse 8. And unfortunately, the way in which the translators have translated the same word in different ways has caused confusion because of that. Look at Second Thessalonians 2, verse 8. And the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with what? With the breath of his mouth. If you look at a Bible which has good footnotes, it's the same word, with the pneuma of his mouth. The breath of his mouth. Interesting. I went back and checked my dictionary again. When did you expect? Today. I said, I've got to check again. Make sure I get this right. Pneuma. Lexicon. Blowing. Wind. Breathing. Breath. That's definition number one. Second definition. As a condition and agent of life. Breath of life. It is breath. It is not some other kind of part. It is according to the dictionary, the lexicon, and according to the way the translators have translated in Second Thessalonians 2 verse 8, this is breath. Fascinating. Breath, breath. You know what's interesting? This is kind of strange, and some of you might not like what I'm going to tell you today, but when you look at what the animals have, ah, guess what the animals are called? Go to Genesis chapter 1. It's uh, hard sometimes to compare us. We aren't the same as animals, no. Genesis chapter 1, but the same term, the living soul, the living being, the same term is used of animals, and the, and the translators are gentle on us. They don't use the same word, living being. Genesis chapter 1 verse 20, Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living what? Living creatures. If you have a little footnote, mine has a footnote, okay, it says souls. There's a little thing there, it says, where it says creatures, it says souls, okay? Living souls. That's what, the creatures have the same word. They are nefesh hayah, living souls. And you can go for another example, chapter 1 verse 24. It's, you find it different places. I'm just giving you a couple examples. The sheep and the creeping things and the beasts. And it says they, that they let the earth bring forth the living creature. Living creature, it's a living soul. The animal has the same word. It's a nefesh chaya. Same word of use of human beings. The difference is this. Here's the difference. It says God made human beings in what? His own image. The difference is we are made in God's image. And the animals were never given the test, don't eat of the fruit 
Okay, they were never, human beings have a moral sensibility. Animals don't have that. Like we have, we can choose between good and evil. Animals operate by instinct. So yes, there is a radical difference between us and animals. However, it's interesting, the Bible uses the same terms of us as it does of animals. We are living creatures, living beings, same identical language. Fascinating. Let's move on. Let's ask the question, according to the Bible, what does the Bible say? Who is the only one who has immortality? Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We want to look at a passage here. It's a critical passage. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. And he, he's highlighting very, something very important. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And notice what he says. I want to start with verse 15. You can read the whole chapter later on. But here he starts talking about God in verse 13. Verse 14. Verse 15 1 Timothy 6.15, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, talking about God, right? Verse 16, who alone has what? Immortality. Only God has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. Now go with me quickly to the book of Job, because back then, Job recognized the same factor that we are not immortal. Interesting. It was God's plan to have Adam and Eve live from the tree of life. So go to Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. That's a 42 chapter book coming before the book of Psalms. Job chapter 4. God initially intended for Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of life, constantly showing their dependence upon Him and they would continue to live. But they sinned. So let's see what Job recognizes in Job 4, verse 17. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? The contrast between mortal and God. He repeats the concept in the next part. Okay, verse 17. Can a man be more pure than his maker? So Job says, there's God, the maker. Here am I, a mortal man. Interesting. So the question is briefly, when then do do humans look for immortality? Yes, before we get to the when. Romans chapter 2, fascinating. Paul recognized this. He actually uses a term, and I don't know if I'd ever noticed this verse. I've read the Bible. I somehow never remember ever reading this one until I was preparing to share the message this afternoon. Romans chapter 2. And I said, ah, there is an interesting verse. Verse 6 and verse 7. Talking about God, God who will render to each one according to his deeds. You know that already from other passages. Verse 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Human beings are seeking for immortality. The implication is we don't have it. When do we get it? Let's go to one more Pauline passage in the very next book. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is very clear as to when immortality comes to us. Now, I don't want you to get confused between immortality and eternal life. You know, I was confused about this myself for decades. So if you're confused right now, don't feel bad. But it's interesting. Immortality is going to be given at a specific point in time. And I want to point it out to you. I'll mention the issue of eternal life in a minute here. Fascinating. Immortality happens when? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. I'm going to reveal a secret to you in, in a sense. 
we shall not all sleep. We'll come back to that later on. Remember the word sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on what? Immortality. Now when is this happening? So when this corruption has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. When will death be completely vanquished and swallowed up in victory? When Jesus comes, he, then you become immortal. At the last trumpet, First uh, Thessalonians 4 repeats that. This trumpet call, First Thessalonians 4, 16. At the last trump. Fascinating. So that's when we receive immortality. Incidentally, eternal life, folks, guess what? You and I, right now, right here, can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. You believe that? Okay? Right now, Jesus promises us we can accept that gift. But we don't become immortal until when He comes again. Very clear. Eternal life is God's gift. I used to confuse the two, and I was confused. But He promises and offers that us to us right now. We can have that, that promise and the assurance of eternal life. Immortality comes at the last trump. Let's look at a few more texts that support this whole biblical idea. Ezekiel chapter 18. Very interesting verse too. Ezekiel 18. And again, folks, today I went and checked to make sure I was going to give you material I went back, not just assumed everything that I'd studied many years ago. I went back and checked the actual words again. Is this so? Sure enough. This is from the Scriptures, Ezekiel 18, verse 4. There's a verse for you to reflect on. Notice what Ezekiel 18, verse 4 says. Behold, all souls are mine. Who's speaking? Go to verse 3. The Lord God, right? The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son are, is mine. Now notice the last part of the verse. Six crisp words. The soul that sins shall what? Shall die. The nephesh, that soul, will die. Interesting thing I want to share with you here. The soul that sins will die. By the way, the word soul, nephesh, appears hundreds of times in the Bible. In the Greek and in the Hebrew. But never once is the word soul connected with the idea of immortality. Never is. The immortal soul does, is never put together. So, this, so the soul that sins will die. It will not live and live and live. Let's give you some examples of that now. Let's go to Ecclesiastes. The wise man Solomon, yes, he writes here in the book of Ecclesiastes some very interesting material. I'm going to share with you from other places as well. But listen to the way Solomon puts that as he gets towards the end, the end of it. He says, remember your Creator. Chapter Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He's focusing on God firstly. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come. And then he goes on to verse 6. He repeats it. Remember your Creator before the silver cord is loose. Verse 7. Then... When you die, the dust will return to the earth. Remember God formed Adam from the dust of the ground? The dust will return to the earth. And, and now the Bible says, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. So I said, okay, well, what does that say? The Spirit. I went and checked other translations and guess what? For example, the re New Revised Standard Version goes back and they look at the word Ruach. Ruach. What is Ruach? Check the dictionary. I went and checked. 
The dictionary defines ruach as the following. Breath, wind, spirit. And the NRSV says, The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the breath, I'm quoting now, and the breath returns to God who gave it. Very clear. Just as God breathed into Adam the breath of life, when you die, the dust returns, and it's the reverse process. Interesting. Does Job confer... Let's go back to Job. What does he say? Does he concur with this idea? Job chapter 14, verse 10. Interesting information. How does Job see this process hap- happening in, in the life of a person? Job 14, we've got to go quickly. Here are several verses I want to point out. Verse 10, but man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last when he, and where, and where is he? There's he saying. He breathes his last. That's the ruach that goes out. Or the pneuma as the New Testament. The, the breath that leaves. And he talks about where does he go? And he says, verse 6, verse 12, So man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. The Bible uses the word repeatedly. Then he says, Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath has passed, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. So Job says, there is a set time. I will lie in the grave in the meantime, waiting until the set time. Do we find the same happening in the New Testament? Yes. Acts chapter 2. Right there in that vital Pentecostal sermon, listen now to the words of Peter, reflecting on what happens when someone dies, including someone whose name is in the hall of spiritual fame. Where is that found? Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. David, for example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Here we are. What does Peter say? In that Pentecostal sermon, Peter speaking now about David, he says this. Acts 2, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. What happened to him? Let's go to verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, He did not. He's here with us in the tomb. That's what he says. This is Peter in that Pentecostal sermon. So very clearly, we lay in the grave and we wait for the resurrection day. Let me give you a few passages of scripture that answer the question, are the dead conscious? There are many of them. Write a few down. Go with me to the book of Psalms. I want you to read the rest later on. Here are the ones I want you to write down. Psalm 6 verse 5. But go to chapter 115 verse 17 right now. Psalm 115, verse 17. What does the Bible say? What happens when you are in the grave? But you can write down Psalm 6, verse 5. Isaiah 38, 18 and 19. Isaiah 38, 18 and 19. And I have others here I can share with you later if you want to. Psalm 115, verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into what? Silence. So there is silence in the tomb. Psalm 146. Let's read one more verse from the book of Psalms. Psalm 146 verse 4. Another passage I want to share with you here. 146 verse 4. What does it say? His spirit, same word ruach. And the the King James says what? His what? His breath. If you have the King James, did you notice that? His breath departs. That's right. His breath departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. 
the Revised Standard Version, the King James Version, and many of them. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Listen carefully. When their breathing stops, they return to the earth. And in a moment, all their plans come to an end. Very clear. One more verse, Ecclesiastes. Let's go now to one more. Again, back to the book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Because I have to make sure I end up with good news at the end today. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5 and verse 6 talk about the living know they will die, but the dead know how much? Nothing. Okay, verse 6, all their love, their hatred, their envy, they have, have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Why? For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Interesting. Over and over it's talking, talking about the, sleep, the, the, the death as sleep. Now go with me to the words of Jesus. We always want to go to Jesus' language. Go to the book of John, the favorite, beloved John, who wrote the words of Jesus, who recorded that incredible story in John chapter 11 when Lazarus, his friend, was dying and Mary and Martha had sent for him. He didn't show up in time and he does come eventually and now Lazarus is dead. And chapter 11, verses 11 and 14, these things he said. And after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. Remember, he was sick. Notice verse 13. However, Jesus spoke of what? His death. But they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly what? Lazarus is dead. So often in the Bible, the word sleep is used. Remember when Stephen was dying? Acts chapter 7 verse 60. He fell asleep, the Bible says. Write on a few more. Matthew 27, verse 52. Matthew 27, 52. All those who were asleep in the graves when, the, when Jesus was resurrected, they also came forth from their tombs. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. We talked about it. We shall not all sleep, but we'll be changed in a moment. Over and over. Old Testament, New Testament. One more Old Testament passage. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. The well-known apocalyptic prophet Daniel, in his final chapter, he makes this important point as he talks about death being asleep. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Here's the good news. Some to everlasting life. Bad news, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Interesting. Daniel says there will be people who will be resurrected to life, those who will be resurrected to shame and contempt. Let's now go back to the words of Jesus because we want to see what Jesus says about this. There's a line I want you to notice that we're going to put on the, Bible, on, on the board here. Jesus in John chapter 5, John chapter 5 talks about these very two same resurrections. In the meantime, this is the concept that I get from the Bible talking about the people who are in the tomb. The dead rest in the grave till they are raised. That's what we see in the Bible over and over again. The dead rest in the grave till they are raised. Do you want to say that with me? The dead rest in the grave till they are raised. That we see repeatedly in Scripture. Incidentally, Job chapter 31, uh, 21 verse 30 also points out the same idea of the resurrection is when we are raised. Let's look at Jesus' words right here. John 5, 28, 29. Jesus says what? 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming 
in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Clearly, again, there are the two resurrections. Matthew, the words of Jesus. Let's go to Matthew. Jesus talks about those who will end up in the time of the bad resurrection, the resurrection to condemnation. Look what He says in Matthew chapter 10. A bit of bad news. We're going to get to good news some more. Do not fear. Matthew 10 verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body where? In hell. Yes, there is a hell coming. Now the book of Revelation chapter 20 verse 10. I know there's a verse and I'm just mentioning it that says hell will burn forever and ever. But hold on folks. Don't forget when I promise to love my wife I promise to love her what? Forever. And I do say, till death do us part. It's interesting, in the Bible, 56 times the word forever is used about what? Things that last. When Jonah was there in the belly of that great fish, he says, I was in the belly forever. It was three days only. Okay? 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Samuel shall be a priest forever before the Lord. And verse 28 says, he was a priest until he died. Forever is used for limited things. You have to look at the context. Always look at the context. Matthew 25, let's look at the words of Jesus. Jesus does talk about hell, but He uses a very specific term. And today, again, I went and checked every Bible translation I had, about 15 or 20 on my computer. And I noticed something very interesting. I even checked the Greek on this. Matthew 25, verse 46. Listen carefully now. And these, the wicked, we're going to get to the good news in a minute, the wicked will go away into everlasting punishment. And I looked at every Bible translation, not one of them says everlasting punishing. It's interesting. There's a difference between everlasting punishing and everlasting punishment. Punishment ends. You're punished. That's the everlasting punishment. Interesting. But the righteous into eternal life. As we study all of it, I eventually end up with Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts it very clearly. It's something some of you might know by heart. Romans 6, verse 23. And if you know it, say it with me. Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is what? Is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Always Christ-centered. But notice the contrast. Fascinating contrast. It doesn't say the wages of sin is eternal death or eternal dying. It says death. Death period. Okay? There is suffering, yes. We, from what the Bible says, some will suffer longer than others. To him who much has been given, much is expected. That's clear. But there's nothing that says it, you are continually burning. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Contrast here between death and eternal life. 1 John 5 verse 11 is the promise I want to leave with you as I share with you a story about my own sister. My only sister. No brothers. 1 John 5 verse 11 and 12. This is the testimony that God has given us. Eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. We can have eternal life right now, right here. Immortality comes at the second coming. My sister was 25 years of age. She loved the Lord, served Him with all her heart. She was a growing Christian, yes. 
Unfortunately, she worked at three jobs simultaneously. She was raising three kids, putting her husband through college, and her body couldn't take it. Active in the church. How can you hold on three jobs, look after three kids, put your husband through college, and be active in the church? Her body couldn't take it. So at the age of 25, she had a stroke. She survived the first one, rushed her to the hospital. While she was in the hospital, the best brain center in, in South Africa, she had a second stroke. She didn't survive. I had sent my sister a letter, and I remember very vividly arriving at her funeral when somebody came to me and handed me the letter that I had sent to my sister, still sealed, and simply saying, Ron, I'm sorry, she didn't get it. Pam died before she got to read my letter. I'll be honest, I look forward to the day when I can see my sister in the kingdom. The point I'm making is, young people, Pam, my sister, was 25 years of age. Don't put off making a decision for Jesus Christ. Life is fragile. I'm not sharing this to warn you. I'm just saying, saying, you don't know. I don't know. The only opportunity we have to accept Jesus and to live for His glory is right here, right now. There is no guarantee that you will live five seconds after you leave this door. God forbid that a truck comes by, but those things do happen. My sister didn't expect it and she died. So what am I saying? Live ready for the Lord every moment of every day. Live in the assurance of salvation, the assurance of eternal life that Jesus has offered to you and to me right here, right now. I'm going to ask, how many of you want to raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to live in the assurance of eternal life, eternal life through Jesus Christ. Just hold your hands up. I'm going to have a brief prayer for you. Lord, you Father, see the hands going up all over. We want to live in the assurance of eternal life so that when Jesus does come, He will grant us immortality and we can live with Him through the ceaseless ages, praising You for being such a merciful and loving, forgiving God. In the name of our imminently coming King, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.